Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 is where we're at. We left off in verse, I think, 5 last week. Got all the way through 5. <laughs> now, let me tell you how to do this, all right? Because a lot of times, some of the practical, practical stuff about church gets overlooked because we assume, I as ministers do, just in general, we get in a flow of things and we assume some things. But if you're going to have this word in you, you got to read it. You got to pay attention while you're reading. How many know that your brain is your responsibility? I know we live in a generation where nothing's anybody's responsibility. But we don't believe that in the church. So your brain is your responsibility. Um, you should get a notebook and take notes. People say, well, I like to just listen. I don't want to take notes. How much of it are you retaining? Um, the goal of the Lord, and actually Joy mentioned it, but is to make disciples. Now, being a disciple doesn't mean you have to become a preacher. I mean, like what you would think a preacher is. Every believer is a preacher. You're preaching something. Okay? It may be your past because you're newly saved, but you're preaching something. Trust me, you're preaching something. Everybody knows it, and I know it because I'm on Facebook too. <laughs> people, people get nervous when you say that. <laughs> I'm not Facebook stalking nobody. But you understand what I'm saying? Something is coming out of you. And so you need to, it, when, we're, when we're going through, when we're studying the word, like if we're on a, a topical message, you say, what does that mean? That means we're talking about a specific topic. So like on uh, Sunday, morning, Sunday mornings, we're talking about how faith without works is dead. You should put in your notes the title of the message and then write the scriptures down that we go through. And as you're listening to the teaching, the bullet points that the Lord gives, or if there's just a divine inspiration of utterance in a moment and it hits you, you should write that down. Amen. And then you should go back to your notes through the week and look at what the Lord said. I'll just say this. It'll reduce your prayer requests. Not that we're getting a ton of inundated prayer requests. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that people actually in the church think if they call the prayer line, they don't have to take the responsibility that they do need to and are commanded to here. Let me ask you a question if you've been saved for a little while or just even just newly saved or saved for maybe many years. How did you get where you are? Now, these are questions people don't ask themselves. Most people bounce along through life, just kind of going along, you know, grabbing at things as they go. But how did you get where you are? How did you get to the particular ways of seeing things in your life that you do? How did, how did you get a, a, a particular frame of mind concerning uh, pick a subject? It doesn't matter what it is. How did you get there? You gathered 
or were given and you accepted certain information concerning your life and situations, and then you began to talk a certain way, and then you actually ended up gathering people around you, or you were gathered around by a group of people that thought that same way, and then you came together and strengthened those beliefs. Sometimes those beliefs were strengthened in church because you chose to follow the Lord. Sometimes those beliefs are strengthened in the bar because you chose not to follow the Lord. Am I preaching too plain? Is it just too plain? Well, you got to remember, I'm just, I'm just plain. <laughs> this is how I am. And you actually, gathered, you actually gathered music that said and reinforced what you believed about yourself. You know, people actually put on an identity based on what the culture tells them that they're supposed to be. I can always usually tell who rides a Harley. They've been indoctrinated. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I, you can ride a Harley. I don't care what you ride. You know, you ride your bike. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? That doesn't matter to me. But what I'm saying is, is we, we don't even realize we do it, but we actually build into us a consciousness of whatever we feel like is most important or will help us accomplish where we want to go. Does that make sense? Now, this is the interesting thing about this is God's giving you an answer to everything here. Everything. And the world is not going to tell you that this is where the answers are. They'll actually dress this up as negative, and they'll dress death up in really fancy clothes. In fact, they'll give award shows to death. You see where I'm going with this? The preaching of the word and the teaching of the word can be boring to your flesh. But one revelation will change your life. I'm talking about, you know, you got born again. <clears throat> you thought that was exciting. Keep growing in the word. You know, people today uh, that knew me years and years ago, they don't even recognize who I am. In that, I mean, they can tell who I am naturally. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> but they don't recognize who I am. I'm a culture shock to them. Because I allowed the Lord to take me out of the culture and then implant me in a new culture and then reinstate me into the old culture to destroy that culture. Rescue the people. But destroy that culture. Bring, bring in a new, you know, uh, your kids should look at you if, they, if, you, if they're older or more, you know, they could, they could recognize difference. They're at that age. They should look at you 10 years from now or from the time you were saved and then five years later and kind of look at you and go, man, you are totally different. 
I remember when, you know, things would go wrong and you would become, you'd be, you'd be tied to a bottle trying to, uh, trying to uh, numb the pain and get through the situation. And now you're quoting scriptures and believing God and standing on his word. And I remember when God came through and we saw the miracle of this and the miracle of that and... And then your kids actually grow up and they do better than you. That's what you want. You don't want them to have to go through. Don't, don't sit back and believe the world's lies. Oh, I went through it. My kids got to go through it. I wouldn't even be a pastor right now if my kids did what I did. And I had people tell me, well, you know, you, you know, when teenagers become teenagers, they just become rebe rebellious. As a parent, if you let them, yes, they will. But you are in control of that house as a parent. People say, well, well, you know, I just can't control my teenager. They do this and that. <laughs> Wrong. You can control them. Now, you can't make them believe what you believe, but you can control your house and you can live an example of belief in front of them. They got to choose it for themselves, right? They got to choose it for themselves. So my kids have never grown up with the idea that they have to do exactly what I do. As long as they're in my house, they do have to obey. Right? They have to follow my rule. We're enjoying the music from the children's department below us. Those that are online can't hear it, but I can see people's faces. They're like, what's that? Is something going to come out of the floor? And <laughs> no, nothing is. <laughs> they just got the music really loud out there. But, but as, a, as a believer, you influence, and as a parent, and as uh, the one who's given your life to the Lord, you have an authority in your house as a parent. Listen to me, parents. Don't believe for a second that you don't have authority in Christ. Don't accept it. People say, well, I don't understand how it works. I don't care. You can learn how to understand how it works. Don't let the devil lie to you. You rule your house under the name of Jesus. Amen? Okay? So don't let that, don't let that lie settle in you. And people say, well, what do I do if, you know, if, if, if I have a kid and, you know, I was, I was living a certain way and they're used to that way and now I've changed and, and they just don't want to listen to me. They, they want to do this and that. Start taking things away. Amen. Do I have to say thus saith the Lord before that? People say, well, they're too big to spank. <laughs> I just said, uh-uh. <laughs> I'll let you pick your battles, all right, in your house. But I will say this. There's always a way to, in, to, to uh, co coax in the right direction. And I'm not talking about getting into a fist fight. Those days are over. But there's always a way. You take away the empowerment of disobedience. Right? <clears throat> you take away those things. Because in real life, day-to-day -day life, right? 
in day-to-day -day life, if you, if you as, as, a, as an adult, if you have a job, if you don't follow the guidelines in the job, what happens? That's real life, right? So I like to tell people, you can teach your kids what they're supposed to do or the police will. Right, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Such good preaching. This isn't even in 1 John, but it's good. We're walking in the light. It's just, yeah, it's all about love and light. And it's in the epistles, I'm sure, somewhere. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is... Yeah. Do you want it to go well with you kids, teenagers? You better respect your authorities. And pa parents pretend like... Like kids have an option. No, they don't. They have no option. If they want, if kids want it to go well with them, they obey their parents. Amen? They obey their parents. And so uh, just keep that in mind. You're, you, and I got off on the parent side of it, but what I'm saying is, is you have a new identity Find it. It's here. Discover it. Put it in your mind, put it in your mouth, and then put it into action. Concerning anything in your life, put this into action. Begin to just do this. Think this way. Do what the Word says. And as you do, man, your life... It will take on a whole new form. And what used to be, uh, you, you'll love it because in the long run, the Lord will reveal things and you'll influence people's lives that you never thought was possible. He'll do things with you that, just, you, know, are, that you never thought were possible. It, it'll be wonderful as you do the word because the doer of the word is the one who's what? Blessed. Not the hearer only, the what? The doer. They're the doer. Come on, Nike says just. They stole that. They even stole the word Nike. They did. It's a Bible term. It means hyper-conqueror. The scripture says we're more than conquerors. Yeah. So, so Nike should have nothing on us. If you need to put the Nike swoosh on the front of your Bible and put underneath it, just, just do it. Just do it, okay? <laughs> please, please become a doer, all right? Praise God. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is what? Light, and in him is no darkness at all. That there is no darkness in God at all. This is kind of typical of John. If you read through the Gospels and the Epistles of John, he'll make statements like God is light. He'll make statements like God is spirit. He'll make statements like God is love. That was kind of typical of John. The others didn't really do that. But we saw that light is important, that God is light, and that this is actually a double, ne a double negative. There is absolutely no, not any darkness in him at all. So don't ever associate anything darkness-wise with God. Now, I'm reading through parts of the Old Testament right now and things like that. And you can, as you're reading through the Old Testament, it can look like God is actually cursing people. 
And he's not, he doesn't have curses to give. But what he does is he assesses what we want and gives us over to our desire. Does that make sense? So where do curses, where does the curse come from? Right? How did the curse get into the earth? In the, in the, in the, in the six days of creation, how many curses did God create? None. Now, you need to go back and listen to my, uh, the message we did uh, called Unmasking the Enemy on the website to understand how the devil became the devil. Because people think, well, God created the devil. No, God created Lucifer, and, the, and he twisted what God created, and he became the devil. God actually gave him over to what he wanted, which he wanted to be God, which obviously perverted the whole thing, and so he turned into a pervert. I'm actually speaking Hebrew. It means twisted, okay? It's, he became wicked, and that's where we get the word like wicker, twisted, okay? So you need to go back, you listen to that, but you figure out how the devil became the devil. Well, how did curses get into the earth? They ate the fruit, right? They ate from the one tree that they couldn't and ignored the billions that they could. I don't know if it was that many, but you understand what I'm saying. It was a lot that you could and not very much that you couldn't. But the enemy was good and he got them off on that tangent. And so they actually opened the door to darkness. What is Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3 is the recording of the door where the enemy got into the earth. When, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a door in the spirit that was opened that allowed Satan to begin to work his way and his things into the planet. If you could see it, it would have been like a mass of demonic activity trying to flood, flooding its way through everything. And it, didn't, it took a little bit of time for that to take effect within God's sphere of ultimate life and no death. Because we know they lived a long time, right? Naturally speaking, they lived a long time. What was the first thing they figured out after they had fallen? That they were naked. Why was that? It's not because before they didn't necessarily have clothes. It was before they were clothed with the presence of God. So what lifted? The presence of God. Okay? So that's what took place. Right? That's how the enemy got in. So ever since then, if you read, if you're reading, as you're reading through the Old Testament... Don't just read where it says, you know, uh, God, and so God uh, 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 gave them over to what they desired. Or don't just read where it says the, the judgments were laid out on the people and all these bad things happened. Pay attention to how they got there. This, it's amazing to me how people can actually read through the Old Testament and go, ooh, he was mad back then. Oh, but Jesus is nice. And yet we read the scripture that says God changes all. Well, which is it? Is it bipolar God? I'm happy today. Who knows what I'll be like tomorrow? Do something wrong, I dare you. You know, he's happy. <laughs> Just... <laughs> no, they rejected God. God did not just, Israel was not just bouncing along obeying God. And then all of a sudden God went, I hate him. Boom, kill them all. Bring me a boiling pot from the north. 
People say, a boiling pot? What does that mean? It's prophetic. <laughs> but God would, an enemy would be stirred up. Another, why? Because of judgment needed to be passed. Because why? Because the people had rejected God for years. And that's why evil came. It didn't come because God's this, you know, people will do this. They'll go, he's the sovereign God and he just does whatever he wants. Well, that's really broad and a little insane. Is that really who we want to serve? And it's why some people don't serve him. Because they don't understand how he is and who he is. So as you're reading, if you're reading through the Old Testament, which I don't recommend you do if you just got saved. I recommend you just stay in the Gospel of John. Just stay right there, all right? Because you're just going to confuse yourself. And stop reading Revelation if you just got saved. You don't need to figure out who the Antichrist is. I don't know why every new believer wants to do that. Stay out of it. Stop watching YouTube videos on who the Antichrist is. They don't know. Okay, I got that off my chest. All right, so. <laughs> but when you begin to gain knowledge and things start to take shape in you, you understand that God's way more benevolent, even in the Old Testament, than what they actually, I mean, if it were you or me, you know, there wouldn't be a planet. Because our patience level compared to God's is like, right? So we need to be aware that God is light. He's love. He's goodness. He's mercy. He's tender. He's kind. Yes, he's a judge. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he takes care of these things. But you got to realize this. He'll give the maximum amount of redemption opportunity before any of that comes. And if you think otherwise, you don't know the Bible. Because the scripture clearly says in Romans chapter 8 that he gave Jesus so that everything else would just be a secondary thing. In other words, he said, look, I'm going to give you the best straight off. That way anything else you think I am or I'm not or whatever, you'll know I'm all in because I gave you the son. Does that make sense? So he is, but he is light. He is total light, Right? He is total goodness, and we saw this in uh, 1 John 1, verse 5. Everything that Jesus did was an expression of God. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen who? The Father. So is that true of the Old Testament? Yes. This means that everything that Jesus did was an expression of light. God cannot be associated with any darkness at all. All that is dark has no root in God. It is, it is devil made. All manifestations of darkness are forged from hell. I like that. All manifestations of darkness are forged in hell. That's where they're framed. That's where they're developed. Everything that steals, kills, and what? Is forged out of hell. Amen. Okay? All right, let's look at verse number six now. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. How many think God could have said that a little less, you know, straightforward? Well, it wasn't really a lie. <laughs> in the Weymouth translation, it says it this way. If we are living in darkness, we profess to have fellowship with him 
and we, and we profess to have fellowship with him, we speak falsely and are not adhering to the truth. So we looked at verses one through five. And we got to verse 5, and it talks about light and what God is. And so now he addresses the issue of, if my conduct doesn't, address, doesn't line up with light, then I'm living in a lie. This is where he's going with this, right? All right. So it says this in the, um, I want to read it in the New Living. It says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Fellowship here actually means partnership. It actually means communion. And the word has to do with intimacy. So if I say to you, I'm intimate with God, what should my actions be? They should be light, right? Now, as we get into this more and more, it's going to challenge you more and more because you're going to see areas where we both do. We'll see areas where we're not walking in light. So what do you do with that? You change. Yeah, that's the simple answer, right? Ask forgiveness, repent, do something different. People say repent. Yeah, I got to repent. You know what repent means, right? It just means you were going this way. Now you're going to go it means your conversation was this way. Now you're going to have conversation. And people say, well, is that religious? No, it's resurrection. <laughs> My tongue now lines up with the resurrection within me. I talk not because I'm, not because I'm afraid Jesus might hear me say something wrong, but I actually talk because, in a different way because Jesus is talking through me. I no longer walk or live or conduct myself in the spirit of antichrist that is in the earth because I'm a new creation in Christ. Uh, we have uh, friends over in uh, North Dakota, Breakforth Bible Church, and uh, one of the speakers, uh, one of the pastors or ministers over there is Brandy uh, Waples. And so she would say this, and I'd be like, why is she saying that? But it made sense over time. She would actually share something, um, about, you know, concerning herself or something like that, and then she'd say right after, and she was teasing, but she'd say, I'm just lying, and then she'd just move on. You know, she'd move on in the message. And it, she was making a point. But really, there are times, if you tie it into this, where we could actually just say, well, I was just lying. Sorry about that. I just lost my temper. Oh, I'm just lying. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And then you repent and change because does God lose his temper? Woo, he never does. You have the ability within you to actually be pressed to the point that Jesus was and actually not utter a word. You say, press to the point where Jesus was. Yeah, have you ever read through his crucifixion? And the scripture says, as a lamb is led to the what? He opened not his... I wonder why. Jesus had the ability to say, you're annihilated. I just, you think about this, you think about Pontius Pilate, you think about all these things, and what came out of him? Light. 
He's on a mission. What's the mission? Redemption. And the ones he's trying to redeem are actually cursing him. They're actually calling for their own death. And Jesus did what? I love the way Jesus handled himself in front of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate's haughty. You know who I am? Jesus is like, yeah, I made you. I mean, he didn't say it, but you know what I mean. I knew you before you knew you. Oh, somebody just got a revelation right there. You can, you can feel it. That lives in you. Now, I'm not saying you can know every human on the planet. I'm saying the nature of the one who stood in front of Pontius Pilate and held his tongue lives in you. The devil is in trouble. <laughs> he is. He's in trouble. The nature of the one. So what is John getting at here? He's actually dealing with Gnosticism, which I don't want to get into all that. But basically what they were saying is, is it doesn't really matter how we act because the spirit is what is important. And John was having to fight this false doctrine that's going on in the church. In other words, he's having to deal with what? It's not just a matter of he, what John is basically saying. Look, he said, listen, if the spirit is so real and important, it will affect how you act. Just because you didn't earn your salvation, it came freely by grace, doesn't mean you're not expected to work from it. Because you are. Now, what's the benefit of that? People say, well, does that mean then that I, it affects whether I go to heaven or not? No, but it certainly really affects how you live here. People say, well, I want more peace in my life, but yet they won't adjust their life to what the word says. They have the resurrection of Christ within them. They know they're born again. They know they're going to heaven, but they don't make any adjustments to the book in their daily life. They live just as if they always did before they were saved. And what ends up happening, they actually live in a place of uh, uh, almost constant confrontation within. Why? Because they're frustrated. So what do they do? They come up for a healing line. They, they have the preacher lay hands on them over and over and over and over and over again, but their marriage doesn't get any better. They, have their, they, 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 they go to special meetings. They, they hope maybe the apostle will come through or the prophet will come through and call them out and give them a word, but yet that word never manifests anything. Why? Because you're actually, and you may not know it, you may not realize it, but you're actually abdicating or setting aside your biblical responsibility to just do what this says. And listen to me, God will not bypass our responsibility with a spiritual gift. Well, Lord, can't you just have the pastor lay hands on me and I'll just grow up spiritually? My God, I'd be laying hands on everybody every week. <laughs> I, would be, I would be hunting people down in their homes going, give me your head in the name of Jesus. <laughs> wouldn't you with your kids hello 
I mean, they wake up in the morning and they're just covered in oil and they're like, what happened? And you're over them at night going, shunda basite, eramaha. Lord, grow them up. Make them do what they're supposed to do. No, we have to choose to obey. I have to choose to walk. I have to choose to walk. That word walk has to do with uh, being occupied with, has to do with regulating one's life. You'll see it all through the epistles. How are you walking? How are you doing what you're, how are you conducting your life? In the morning when you wake up, are you planning on avoiding the hangups of the enemy that he's been able to control you in the area of your life. I had a youth pastor uh, who I got saved under, and he's now in, I think, Taiwan or something like that, doing missions and teaching English uh, over there. But he, he was an alcoholic before he got saved. He could not go into the, the liquor aisle after he got saved for years. He would not allow himself to go down that aisle. And he didn't. And guess what? He stayed dry. Sober, right? He didn't allow. In other words, what did he do? He changed his walk. I got to do something different. People say, well, Sean, what's yours? It's the cookie aisle. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so... The ice cream, you're right. You're absolutely right. Don't buy me ice cream in the name of Jesus. All right, so we're to walk differently. So actually, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to be disappointing for all of us. We actually have light in us, but there are areas of our lives where we're walking in a lie. We already have the truth, and people say, well, what's the solution? Renewal, words, Act differently. Well, I just don't feel free yet. You will because you'll train your mind according to the word and then you'll train your body. No, you don't need that no more. No, you don't need to defend yourself when your spouse accuses you of something. No, you don't have to be afraid every night before you go to sleep. Come on, you don't have to live in waking up every night in cold sweats because of the life that you lived before and you know something's lingering out there and it could show up at any second. People say, you know anything about that? I've been attacked by demons in my sleep. I know a lot about it. I've seen them. When I went to Bible college, I got attacked twice. And people say, yeah, demons, yeah, that's bad. Probably woke up afraid. No, I saw the demons. But I learned something. When I lie down, I will not be afraid. When I lie down, my sleep will be. And you know what happened in those spiritual experiences? And this was an interesting thing, <laughs> but I never really experienced it before. But, but actually what happened in those situations is I was popping up in bed and I was saying things like, for God has not given me a spirit of fear. And it was just coming out of me. Why? 
I put it in. And look at me, 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 look at me. Listen to me, listen to me. I did not know anything about the Bible. I, don't, I didn't know anything that I know today. I just knew, I heard this guy preach. He said if I would give my heart to Jesus, he would save me. I knew I went to the altar and God changed my heart. And I knew as I was reading through this, they said it's the word of God, it must be. And I'd find verses, it wasn't even right. I didn't even do it right. But I just kept putting it in me and putting it in me and putting it in me and putting it in me. And the life that I walked that was a lie became a path of truth. The light that I walked that was darkness became a path of light. And I'm still doing the same thing just on a higher level today than I was then. I learned how to combat in the spirit according to the word of God. I learned how to take up what? The sword and apply it and apply it. Guys, I'm, uh, I look over this crowd and I know, I know some of you are newer and some of you I've known for years. I know victories that have been won in people's lives sitting in here right now just by taking the word and applying it. I mean, I could tell you walk through horrible things. And where they are today, they will tell you, Jesus brought me through, and it's worth it. Amen. Victory in Christ. If we are in true fellowship with God, it will be reflected in our lives. This is not saying that we will be sinless. This is what Andrew Womack said. The next chapter talks about Christians sinning. Christians can still sin, and some more than others. Have you noticed? I love what Andrew Wolfric says. Sin is stupid. Why do it? It's stupid. I, I remember hearing a testimony about a, a girl who had saved herself for marriage, ended up going to, she, she was raised in church. She had, did the whole purity ring, all that stuff. She, just, she ended up going to uh, college, and she thought, I've never really done anything. You know, all her friends and everything, had, or different ones that she knew had done stuff that was just horrible, you know, in that sense, and partied it up, and thought, she thought they were living the life. And so she went to this party, and she thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink. I've never drank like they have before. I'm just going to try it once. She actually ended up uh, sleeping with a man and getting AIDS once. And she had saved herself all that time. And people say, well, why would God let that happen? Hello. Think before you talk. God let that happen? God had preserved her through her obedience to him all those years. Now, thankfully, there's healing. You know, I don't know if she was healed, but we know there's redemption, forgiveness, and healing. So those things can be reversed. But God is trying to protect us. Does that make sense? He's trying to keep us. This is countering the Gnostics of John's day who claimed to have a superior knowledge and understanding of God. Yet their lives were a mess. They didn't have any evidence of a relationship with the Lord. 
John was simply stating that knowing God changes a person's actions. Now, you don't want to be legalistic about this. You're not trying to earn your relationship with the Lord. You're just like you, uh, if you're in a good relationship with your spouse, you want to do things for them because you love them, not because you think, well, if I don't, then they won't like me anymore. That's not love. That's manipulation. You know, people raise their kids this way. Well, I'm going to be nice to my kid, and that way, and then the husband can do all the disciplining so he can be the bad parent. There is no such thing. That is not even biblical. That's not even, that's not even close to biblical. First of all, you don't punish your kids or discipline them because you need a good cop, bad cop. You discipline them because you love them. why Jesus spanks us. I oh, know he would never do that. You're right. Don't read Hebrews. You'll be disappointed. All right. So <laughs> these people didn't have any evidence of their relationship with the Lord. John was simply stating that knowing God changes a person's actions. The degree to which their actions change is dependent on a number of things. But anyone who professes to know the Lord has no, and has no evidence of it in their actions is a liar. Isn't that wonderful? People say, wow, that's really tough. Well, just hang on. We'll redeem you here. <laughs> there are two ditches always seem to arise out of 1 John in the church. The first is that if you sin, you give your heart to, after you give your heart to Christ, you have to get saved again. That's not true. The second is because we are saved but grace by grace that it doesn't matter how we conduct our lives. That's not true either. But for whatever reason, these are the ditches. We go to one extreme or another, you know what I mean? From what we understand concerning our salvation, there are two truths that need to be understood here. First, it is possible that a person living this way was never born again. They say they know God and Jesus, but they have never really given their hearts to the Lord. It is a lie. And it shows by no fruit of God in their day-to-day life. Usually I can find this person, whether they're saved or not, pretty quickly. Because even if they have a life that is not in, con- in, in conjunction with light, as we would know it, you can begin to talk to them about the Lord, and then all of a sudden you realize this person knows Jesus. They just have not got their noodle renewed to the reality of who they are in Christ, and they haven't applied the discipline of that to their daily walk. Okay? So we have to be careful about judging on those things. Because 1 John was written to the church, I believe the scenario is more likely someone who is legitimately saved, but they just don't know anything about who they are in Christ. The renewal of their mind, changing in thinking, and the enslaving of the flesh to righteousness. Those are two things that are vital after we are born again. Have you noticed that receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior does not automatically translate to right thinking and right action? (laughs) Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that just taking Jesus in, man, it didn't just automatically change everything you do and it changed everything in your spirit but it didn't change your mind and it didn't change your body. As you're reading through the New Testament, watch how many times there's instruction on what to do with your thoughts and what to do with your physical body. And you'll begin to understand what that means and how that plays out. There is a need always for spiritual growth. 
The distinction is necessary because there are believers who are fighting condemnation in their lives because they have a habitual sin. And I'm here to tell you, God has not left you because you sinned after you got born again. Well, I said a cuss word. Like God's never heard a cuss word. Like God's in heaven, super nervous. Like, he, like you did really great things to get in there in the first place. Hello. <laughs> That's why Jesus came. Right? So don't let condemnation come in with what I'm telling you. Just realize I need to change my thinking and I need to change how I walk, how I conduct myself, right? How I live. Man, I want to get into verse 7, but don't look like it's happening. All right. So I want to say this again. The distinction is necessary between the two things I just mentioned because there are believers who are fighting condemnation in their lives because they have a habitual sin. And they are working in faith to change, but they are not walking in the fullness of that victory yet. They don't need to get saved again. They just need to develop spiritually. Say it with me. I just need to develop spiritually. When you were born again, hear me now, hear me, hear me, hear me. When you were born again, what was taken out of you was the sin nature. The nature of your spirit changed, but you're still left with an unrenewed mind and a body of sin. Come on, we just talked about this in sanctification, okay? Experiential sanctification. So what are we talking about here? We're talking that the Lord, as we read the scriptures, we're, we're getting a picture of who we are in the spirit. As we see that, faith is imparted, grace is understood through knowledge, and then we begin to adjust our conversation or the way we walk to line up with, with the reality of what the Lord says lives in us. We are not walking in obedience to the Lord to try and get him to like us again. He loves you unconditionally. He loves me unconditionally. Listen to me. I am going to heaven for one reason and one reason only. And when I stand before the Lord, if there's a quiz... And, the, and, and, and if there's a, you know, a gate, I don't believe there is. I believe I'm just going in. But if Peter was standing at the gate like some Catholics think, like Peter's got time to just sit there at the gate. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on. But, but, but and, and I get up to the gate and he says, he says to me, uh, why should we let you in? And I would just stand and say, I, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. And if he brings up, oh, but you, after you got saved, you did. No, 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 no. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. That is the one reason I'm getting into heaven, and that is it. Because I believe Jesus paid for my sins all the way back to the past, into the present, and even the dum-dums I might do out there. Jesus, the father will look down and go, oh, the spirit of stupid's on him. And Jesus will say, I'm interceding. I'm interceding. I'm interceding. I'm in Come on, he ever lives 
to make intercession for me. Now that's good preaching. I mean, that'll make a Baptist shout right there. You, come on. <laughs> come on. You, that's the only reason I'm getting in. Come on, what's the only reason you're getting in? The blood of Jesus. The, the Jesus paid it. All of it. Now, I'm saved from sin, but sanctification saves me from sins. I'm going to heaven. If I, if I, if I did something horrible in the sense of sinned and then I died, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Some people don't believe that all the way. We may have to teach on this. Oh, you think your actions are saving you? Ooh, I got, a, I got a law for you that you'll never pass. I can condemn you to the floor, under the floor. <laughs> if you, that first of all, the pride level that functions in a person who thinks that they're doing acts outside of Christ that are acceptable to God is off the charts. But you say, what do you mean saves me from sins? What is cleansing from unrighteousness? Verse 9, where we talk about asking forgiveness. For, what is that? That unrighteousness, it actually, if you could think about it this way, it doesn't dirty your spirit. The unrighteousness affects your, and this. And I know I'm opening up a can of worms, but I'll get to reprobates by the time we're done. People are like, reprobate? What's that mean? Don't Google it. Just hang on with me and let me explain it, please. <laughs> I know people are going to Google it. They're going to be like, I can't control that. But Kylie called me the other day, or I called her. I was talking to her on the phone. She's like, oh, Dad, I wanted to call you. I said, oh, Why? She said, Andrew Womack taught on being reprobate. She said the class went, ooh, you know. I said, do you know why they did that, Kylie? She goes, why? I said, because they don't understand it. You know, they're walking out going, I don't think my aunt's saved. I think my grandma's going to hell, you know. <laughs> they don't understand it. Most believers need to focus on Jesus loves me. <laughs> That's what we need to focus on. Why does God not want you to sin after you're saved? Because he gets angry and can't stand to look at you anymore. I thought the Bible said, come boldly to the throne of grace. Yeah, it does. I'm going to go with the Bible, not with religion. <laughs> so why doesn't he want me to sin? Because it hurts. And it hurts. And it hurts my family. And it hurts my kids. It opens the door to the devil. Now, we can run him out, we can repent, but why not? Just don't let him in. Yeah. 
I need to say this. Because there's thoughts going through people's heads, and i got to counter them. I have to counter them. <laughs> there are people in this church, and I could say this without a word of knowledge, that you struggle because you, you, you're still, you have stuff that you've done or you're doing, and it hasn't changed yet. And you need to know this. God's not holding it against you. He's not, he's waiting for you to come to him. Listen to me. He's not asking you to go tell everybody. He's asking you to come to him. He's not even mad. Go to him. Go to him. Well, will he accept me? <laughs> yes. Remember, he gave you Jesus already. He's withholding nothing else. People say, well, why does it feel like the sin separated me? It's your own head. It has nothing to do with God. Christ died for me while I was yet a... So why would he reject you after you're his? People say, well, I'm not his. Well, you can get to know him. He's still not rejecting you. Well, I keep making the same mistake over and over again. Well, let's change how we walk. Let's change who we associate with. Let's change how we talk. Let's change how we think. Because your heart's already changed. Your heart's already changed. Jesus doesn't need your help in the heart arena. He didn't need your help in the spirit arena. He did it. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that came forth tonight. Lord, we'll be not just hearers, but doers of your word. We purpose to put this word in our mouth. Lord, we'll walk in truth. We'll walk in light even as you're in us. But we also know, Lord, that you are not condemning us. We know that Christ was condemned on our behalf that we might be free and live in righteousness. Like you said, Lord, in Romans 8, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We thank you, Lord, that you've justified us. Holy Spirit, take this word, speak to your people, bring all things to their remembrance, change and renew their thinking, and we thank you that you're empowering us to walk these things for the glory of God and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.